Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste, Primetime is full flavor without compromise. You can get some at a liquor store near you, or you can visit the brewery to see how it's made. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? Kintech. So okay. in the first hour of the show, and I'm sure Adog is working dis- diligently to put up the podcast from the first hour of the show, um, we kind of recapped what was a busy day on the PD beat from uh, Rick Tockett's comments about Elias Pettersson, um, where he, it was wide ranging in his comments. Um, he was talking about how PD has just been kind of okay lately, um, a little sporadic, um, and that he needs him to be more of a player driver for the team. And I think most people watching the team, um, on a regular basis were like, yeah, he does. Especially if he seems mm-hmm. going to sign a big contract, uh, play more like Miller. Drive your line. Um, we had a few texts come in about that. We also talked about Frank's report that the Canucks are making significant progress on an eight-year extension, um, but also added the context like, hmm, no other insiders had that. So I wonder why it was just Frank alone on that. Maybe Frank has... Um, an exemplary source, a secret source that nobody else has. Uh, and then we talked about um, some remarks from Petey himself. I guess iMac um, got some quotes from Petey that, that were away from the regular scrums and asked him about the noise of the market. And through all that, we confirmed that Elias Pettersson is human and perhaps this contract situation and all the noise around him is affecting his play on the ice. Mm-hmm. Although there were other things that were brought up, you know, talk, it said, I, I don't think, uh, PD has always been practicing as hard as he could. And he said, and it wasn't because PD's lazy. It was because I think in some ways he was practicing to keep himself fresh during games. He didn't want to become fatigued. He, yeah. won't, he didn't. So, so anyway, it was a very interesting um, uh, remarks from Tockett. So if you want to download hour one of the podcast, I'm sure it will be up soon. Um, the Canucks do have a game against the LA Kings tonight, a team they're going to see four times. Their first game of the season against the Los Angeles Kings tonight, 7 o'clock at Rogers. So... Um, from a Canucks perspective, Halford, yep. what interests you most about tonight? That they could begin their four-game burial of the Los Angeles Kings. That's what I'm excited about. That's where this is. These are the stakes for me going into these four games over the Los Angeles Kings. So, 
the fact that we are, are in March, because again, this is not a real date. We are in March, and they have not played LA once this season is wild. I would expect it from an Eastern Conference opponent, maybe not a divisional opponent. I don't know what the schedule maker was thinking with this, but it does add some intrigue. LA is not great right now. They are not in a good way. We just talked to Luke Gazdick, and he was mentioning the issues in the room mm-hmm. that have really been there since the um, midway point of the season. They started hitting the skids in December. Uh, Drew Doughty was very outspoken in a loss, and I forget who at the, at the in the moment, so I apologize for that. But after a loss, he really put his team on blast and said it sounded like a bunch of guys, felt like a bunch of guys were just interested in getting their points. Now, since he had those remarks, they fired their head coach, Todd McClellan. They brought in a new head coach in Jim Hiller. There's been no real new coach bump to speak of. They're 6-4. and four. They're basically a 500 team under Hiller. Yeah, they had a four-game winning streak with Hiller in charge, but they also lost 7 nothing in Buffalo, and they've also lost three of their last four. Compounding all of the issues is that they are really beat up injury-wise. So right now, they're without Carl Grunstrom, Victor Arvidsson, and Adrian Kempe. The Kempe one is the biggest one because mm-hmm. he's their second-leading goal scorer with 19, and this is a team that doesn't score that much to begin with. They're 19th in the NHL. I think they got like 175, 176 goals, something like that. So they're not a great offensive team to begin with. If you look at their statistical breakdown, the strength of their team is their depth. They have multiple double-digit goal scorers, but they don't have an elite-level guy. They're on 68 points, so they're tied with Nashville on points in the wild card, first and second in the wild card. They got the first wild card because they've played fewer games. I could see them falling out. I really could. What happened to this team, though? Because they started out playing so well. They acquired so Pierre well. No, no, no. They, but they started the season playing so well. They were barely playing. They were playing like a game a week. They had a super light schedule, and they had an easy schedule. Right. Things got tough. They didn't respond under McClellan. Mm-hmm. They don't score enough. They're goaltending, and that was always going to be the problem here, is Blake gambled big time last offseason. He made the big splash for Dubois, and... Here's another instance of this happening in the NHL. They gave Dubois the big contract without ever having watched him play a game in their uniforms. He got that deal before he played a single game as a Los Angeles King. And now look what's happened. They cheaped out on goaltending. I'll do respect to Phoenix Copley and Cam Talbot and David Riddick. But when those are your three goalies, you've cheaped out on goaltending. Sometimes it works. But you know what happens when it doesn't? You look like an idiot. People bring it up right away. They're like, what are you do? What'd you do in net? Why that? So right now, <laughs> with Talbot and David Riddich, their combined cap hit for their goaltenders is 1.875. So you basically got two guys making the league minimum mm-hmm. in goal. They're both pending UFAs. Um, Laddie, is there anything in their system for goaltending? Like we like talk right about. Now, like right now or in the future? Yeah, in the future. Portillo oh, is there, Portillo. who is a pretty high-end college mm-hmm. goalie, but he's not ready for the big show yet. Mm-hmm. So he runs a chain of hot dog places in <laughs> yeah, that Chicago. Was a, that was a, so where I immediately went. I was like, isn't that the place in Chicago where yeah. you get hot dogs? Same so, thing, not the same thing. Um, from the Canucks' perspective, the Canucks did have a practice yesterday before Rick Tockett's comments on Petey and the rest of the team. The forward lines were the same as they were against the Pittsburgh Penguins, so yes... You've still got Mikheyev up on a line with Pedersen and Hoaglander. Suter, Miller, and Besser were together. Baines, Lindholm, and Garland were together. Giuseppe, Bluger, and Lafferty are together. 
that doesn't necessarily mean that there won't be any changes. Um, the D pairs changed a little bit. They were Hughes and Juleson, Cole and Myers. I call and, it Hewelson. And Zadorov and Hironik. So we'll see if those were just experimental or, you know, I, th- I think at the end of the day, talk, it probably felt that after that game, he didn't, he didn't necessarily hate the line combinations. He hated the, the, the sloppy mistakes that were made. Mm-hmm. Um, we picked on Teddy Bluger a fair amount yesterday, or at least I did because I expect better of you, Teddy. I wasn't mad. <laughs> he guy made one mistake. I was just disappointed. <laughs> one mistake. But it was a bad one. Yeah. It was a bad one, and it was a game-changing it's one. Because he doesn't have his line mates with him. And Rick Tockett was asked about the fourth line, and he was like, yeah, I guess, I guess they played well. Lafferty, and he, he said, you know, Lafferty and DiGiuseppe had had a good game, but he was just like, yeah, that one mistake by Teddy Bluger. Remember, it was 2 nothing for the Canucks heading into the second period, and then Lafferty passed it back to um, Bluger in his own end, and Bluger just kind of flicked it on the backhand to the middle to absolutely nobody. He just it, it was weird. So the Penguins picked it up, and they scored, and then it was a different game after that because the Canucks ran into penalty trouble. Uh, the Penguins tied it. JT Miller made that incredible PK play, mm-hmm. scored. Um, but then the third period, you know, the third period might be the period where you're kind of like, okay, that's where we need a guy like Petey to show up. And Petey didn't really show up. And that goes the same for Elias Lindholm, who who, who didn't show up. Uh, they ultimately surrender a goal in the third period and then lose it in overtime. So that's how the Pittsburgh game went. But if you look at the the box score or the underlying numbers from that, mostly thanks to a guy like JT Miller, you're like, that was a pretty even game. The Cox could have easily won it. Yeah, They just ended up losing it. In, and they could have won it in overtime, but they didn't. So there's disappointment after that. So I got a totally different spin on this, and I think that this is the sort of thing that you're going to have to go through when you make a move as significant and as altering as the Lindholm deal. And look, they're trying desperately to figure out what fits right now. And the only way you're going to figure it out is to have a bunch of different like combinations and duos and trios and try different things and move guys around. I mean, Tockett said publicly on a number of occasions, I've moved Lindholm around a lot. I mean, Lindholm's played 12 games. Yeah. And how many different positions has he played? And I'm not just talking about and right wing. All left. sorts of different players. You know, it's like it's very difficult. Look. Look at the chemistry that was forged between Bluger, Joshua, and Garland, and how long it stayed together. Do you think right? Lindholm, when he was traded to Vancouver, ex- ever expected that on his wing would be a guy that was making his NHL debut and had like five games no, of NHL No, he probably experience. had no idea who Archdeep Baines was prior to coming to Total. Vancouver, right? Absolutely. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm sure he wasn't actively scouting the Abbotsford Canucks for line mates. And this and this, this isn't meant as <laughs> how do you know that though? I'm pretty sure it's not meant as any sort of disrespect to anyone. It's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. Some people will say, "Oh, talk, it's playing with his food, and he's getting too flippant with his lines and his deep pairings." Clone. I would say no. This is what a coach, a good coach, by the way, needs to do, and it's given him. He's kind of built up the cushion to do this because they've gotten out to such a significant lead in the division. Like, remember, 
despite how erratic things have been since, and let's just call it the all-star break, right? The four-game losing streak, yeah. the, it hasn't been great. I think a lot of people have pointed out they only have three regulation wins in February. The Canucks are still 10 points clear of Vegas atop the Pacific yeah. Division, and they're 11 clear of Edmonton. Now, yes, yes, listeners who are yelling in their cars right now, yes, the Canucks have played 61 games to Vegas' 59 and to Edmonton's 57. And yes, the results have probably been skewed a bit by some loser points and whatever. At the same time, they're without Susie, they're without Joshua, and instead of just going to, well, here's what we know what works, they are experimenting. Like that phase in college that everyone had. They're experimenting with things. <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't Can work you out. Can on that, please? Right? Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you try some things and you're like, I wore a beret for a month. It was a mistake. <laughs> I shouldn't have done it. You have you pictures of this? While on mushrooms. Right. <laughs> yeah. Do you yes, still I have had, the I had a hundred. I tried a handlebar mustache out. It didn't work. The Canucks are in their handlebar mustache phase right now. Uh, Mark en route to the office says, you guys mentioned PD needing to be a play driver. Uh, also, Taka did. That's the problem. He's not. Let's be real. He doesn't ever drive play. Once in a while, he scores a pretty goal. But other than that, he's a perimeter player who needs to be set up. He does not take over games like a, a McDavid, Matthews, McKinnon, or even a JT Miller. Where did this narrative that he does come from? I've seen PD dominate games. I've seen PD go from... Games. The whistle to the final whistle, <laughs> and he's dominated a game. I've seen it when he's just been incredible. Where every time he 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 he, he touches the puck, he's been dynamic. The think- problem is, is we really haven't seen it enough this season. And part of his ability when he's at his best is the two-way ability the defensive ability and I think that one thing that we can all agree on is that he hasn't showed those qualities as much and he was on the ice for the tying goal in the third period and granted and that was a goal against and granted that was kind of an odd play there was a lot of stuff that happened on that play. Juleson took a puck in the rib, so he was kind of hurting on that play. And there were times that I felt like Petey might have been trying to cover for him because he was Petey's the center and, mm-hmm. and he's got defensive responsibilities. Um, and then I think Malkin lost his stick and went to the bench. And then there was a stick. There was a there was a stick lying. And then. Lars Eller came sweeping off the bench, mm-hmm. and because Malkin had left the bench, you know everyone kind of like, oh well, we don't have to worry about that guy anymore. And then Lars Eller comes onto the ice, and um, he's like, "I'm full of beans," and you know, like, "Give me the puck." And and actually, what talk it said, and this is probably worth discussing too. Um, if this affects his opinion of Hoaglander anyway, he said, you know, like, Hoagie's got to cut off that middle drive. And Lars Eller was able to come right down Main Street and score, and he also said the D-men need to do a better job boxing out on that play. So a lot of things happened, but I, I've just watched that goal a few times. Like, Petey was kind of off to the side. He just wasn't really involved, and... You know, in the third period of a big game, 
if you do have a $12 million player, there are expectations. And you can say, you can reply like, what was Mikheyev doing on that goal? Or, you know, again, Tockett said it was Hoaglander's fault. Like, okay, fine, fine, on that particular play. But did anyone think Petey stood out in the third period of that game in a, in a good way? Because I don't. Well, I think everyone needs to wrap their heads around the fact that, uh, one, Pedersen is not McKinnon, he's not McDavid, and he's not Matthews. They're better. I'll, that's, that's the end of that sentence and the end of that analysis. Here's the other part of it. He's probably going to get paid equal or more than some of those guys. That's another fact. Because he's a 100-point guy and a 1C on an elite team. It's just the reality of the situation. Is anything that I just said factually incorrect? No, he's in line to make over $12 million. I think when he's on his game, he could be as close to as good as a guy like a Matthews, but the problem is is the consistency. But what you're saying is he's not. Not consistently, no. Right. So he's definitely not not this season. He's just not as good. But I just named maybe the three best players in the NHL. Handful of others are in the conversation as well. Um, what we're there's so many different circumstances that go into this that are beyond is PD worth being a twelve million a year guy. It's just the reality of the situation. Stop saying that. What reality of the situation? It is the reality of the situation. Like this is how it's going to play out. The reality <laughs> of the situation is we have to get rid reality of, of the situation. Is you Real- say that way well, too much. Okay, I'll retort. Some people would like the reality of the situation to be different. That. You don't make the decision to give PD an eight-year, $100 million contract then. Okay. What are you going to do? Because someone else is going to give him that money. Yep. <laughs> so you let them. Yeah, right. That's all. They, that's, ju- that's just yeah. a discussion. Right, but people don't want that, or the majority of people don't want that. How, okay, here's a question. Yes. If it's an eight-year deal for PD, how does Mr. I don't like long-term contracts? Oh, offer? I don't want it. Eight-year, eight year, no, no, no. Eight-year bad. Too many? Too long. Too long? Too long. Right. Will you lose sleep over this? No. Will, will you wear your bray again? No. <laughs> <laughs> I need to put on my oh, he's, beret. Oh, he's wearing one. his worrying beret again. <laughs> I mean, okay, but here is... I mean, like they, Homer's thinking cap. If they didn't... That's bri- here, here, worrying here, beret. If, if they hadn't abridged PD on the previous deal and locked him up to a longer-term deal, this conversation wouldn't be happening because you would have been paying him way below market value or whatever it would have been when yeah. he hit RFA status. That's how the game works. He's coming up at a time where the Canucks are, in a certain way, let's, I hate using the term, but they're, they're almost forced into doing this. Even though you might be gritting your teeth at it, and fair enough, because $12 million a year for eight years is a lot of money. It mm-hmm. is a lot of money. And it's a long commitment. And we've seen other teams get forced into situations before. There's one happening in Calgary right now. Do you know that Jonathan Huberto is the 10th highest cap hit in the NHL right now? At ten point five million, and because that was the reality of the situation in Calgary, is they were desperate. While well, we're trading Kachuk, we're getting Huberto back, and he needs a contract. We have to give him this kind of money. We don't have another choice. But n- nobody forced them to make that trade for a you guy know, that well, was that's approaching. Not true. You know who forced them themselves? No, that return though. Nobody forced them to go after a guy close to thirty years old and then well, immediately lock him up. Them. No, but that trade in particular, you didn't have to take back Huberto and then give him that big contract. Right. I mean, here's the thing. We don't know the inner workings. of. We don't know how many teams that Kachuk was willing to go to. We don't know. They were forced to a certain degree to take Uyghur and Huberto. That was probably the best deal that they had at that moment. 
right? It's not like they could long play it. Like, I'll just go into the season with Kachuk not signing a contract after losing no. Gaudreau and everything. No. The, those but they the... could have gone after a different type of return from Florida, maybe. Who knows? Sure. But who knows, right? But they didn't. And that's the reality of the situation. Okay. Well, I guess hour two of the podcast will be called The Reality of, of the, the Situation. And it will be up in uh, oh, a few days, it'll I be guess. It's called Halford's Worrying Bray. <laughs> I have a thinking worry. beret, a smoking beret, a worrying beret. You have a closet full of them, don't you? Have you ever seen that meme, the one of the guy that's wearing a fedora? Of course. Yeah, that's the best one. It's like what you think you look like wearing a fedora, and it's an old 20s gangster. You're right. And then it's like what you actually look like, and it's some dude with a terrible goatee. Yeah. Yeah. I, know, I think a lot of us did that in our early I, 20s. You know what? I'm proud. I never, ever wore a fedora. I had life. my phase in my band years with the, one of those old school, like, paperboy caps from the 1930s. Mm. And, you know, I can't even remember what they're called, but you know those those hats? Paperboy yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the Canucks beat reporters have uh, worn those. Unsuccessfully, I might add. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, yeah the 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 Canucks beat reporters end up, like, eventually morphing into Dom DeLuise. All of yeah. them. <laughs> it's true. There's a pull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you had that in our text. Yeah. I'm gonna blame that on you. Yeah, in I case, just had the picture. Like, yeah, he does it was a great. Don- I was like, these guys all look like Dom DeLuise. Such now. a non sequitur, but he's like, he does a great Godfather impression in Robin Hood Men in Tights. And the reason I watched that last time is because it has Richard. Richard Lewis, Lewis in it. In it. Just yeah, passed away. rest in peace, mm-hmm. Richard Lewis. And oh man, Dom DeLuise, like he's in it for five minutes, but just steals the show. Oh, you know who was at the uh, Canucks game against the Penguins? Dom DeLuise? No, probably not. Tim Matheson from Animal House. So you oh, weren't right. joking. No, I thought there. you said there was like a lookalike, no, like no, a Tim no. Matheson lookalike. No, he was there. Really? Yeah, it was Did you awesome. You recognized him right away? No, no, no. They put him on the video, oh, the video board. Okay, okay. And I was like, "Damn, he looks old." Well, he <laughs> that is. was an old movie. Animal House was in the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jonathan Davis is going to join us next to talk about the L.A. Kings. Uh, speaking of long-term contracts that seem to be going sour, uh, they've got one in Pierre Luc Dubois. So we'll talk to Jonathan Davis about this very. Uh, Interesting and eventful season for the LA Kings. We might also get into talk about the Anaheim Ducks and the San Jose Sharks and whether or not they could be players at the upcoming March 8th trade deadline. Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650. Get your what we learns in starting now. No giveaways, right? No giveaways today. So it's all on a volunteer basis. Just be a good person. And send in on what we learn for once in your life. Just do something that goes beyond yourself. Do be, it for be, be selfless. Do it for us. Let us be selfish. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Seven thirty-three on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody! Halford Brough, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford Brough of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today we are in hour two of the program. Uh, tonight's the Kings and the Canucks, seven o'clock from Rogers Arena. Jonathan Davis from Sirius XM NHL Radio is going to join us in just a moment here to preview things from the Kings side of things. Hour two of this program is brought to you by Prime Time Craft Beer. 
meticulously brewed for quality and taste. Primetime is full flavor without compromise. You can get some at a liquor store near you, or you can visit the brewery to see how it's made. Very excited to have our next guest on the program. As mentioned, he's from Sirius XM NHL Satellite Radio. Jonathan Davis now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Jonathan. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Uh, we're well. I believe the last time we had you on the show, uh, the Los Angeles Kings were in a very different place. I'm pretty sure Todd McClellan was still the head coach. I'm pretty sure Adrian Kempe and uh, Victor Arvidsson and Carl Grundstrom were either in the lineup or returning to it. All those things have changed now. So for our listeners, can we get a, a current status report for the Los Angeles Kings as they head to Vancouver tonight? Yeah, I mean, it looks like it's a mass unit. And one other name uh, you didn't mention is Mikey Anderson. Right. Uh, you know, that's, that's a huge loss on, on the blue line for L.A. So, yeah, I mean, look, you're you're losing your leading scorer on a team that, you know, doesn't have a leading scorer who's a point-a-game player. Uh, you know, Arvidsson was, you know, out to start the year, comes back, and then as quickly as he came back, he was gone again. Uh, and the injury to Anderson is very significant. Uh, the, the Grundstrom injury less significant, but what it, what it does to this LA Kings team is look, you're, you're, you guys talked about it at the top of the hour. I mean, they are, they are a team that is built on the sum of its parts and not any one individual. So when you lose a guy like Kempe who is leading the team in scoring and just 19 goals, uh, that, that's a significant loss. And for me, the other thing with Kempe is that, you know, there are a lot of talk about will L.A. trade for a goalie? And if that, you know, and UC Soros' name kept coming up. Well, in my mind, based upon contracts, because any deal the Kings make is dollar in, dollar out, you know, Kempe was one of the few guys that they could match salary-wise. Right. So I don't know if he was a trade chip, but definitely at least on paper, like they're in a big, they're in a world of hurt right now, uh, both you know, physically, and, and I don't really know what they what they can do uh, to change things, even at the deadline. Uh, have things gotten better or any better for Pierre-Luc Dubois? I know that he's kind of moved from center to the wing. I looked at the production in the last few games, and it's not great. He's pointless in four after kind of having a decent little run. Uh, it, interestingly enough, after Jim Hiller came aboard, we'll get to that in a second, though, but Pierre-Luc Dubois, how would you grade out his play as of late, and I guess collectively since joining the Kings? Well, I mean, it's been, uh, you know, I, I would say, I'll be kind. We can give him a, a D minus. Um, mm. Look, the game against Calgary a couple of nights ago was an unmade, unmitigated disaster, I thought, for Dubois. I thought he was responsible for at least one, if not two of the goals. You know, he gets a great opportunity. He starts the game with, with Kopitar and Byfield, and that lasted less than a period. Uh, unacceptable. And the thing that, that, that kills me is that his play was so bad, but yet, he's still playing on the power play. Like if I'm another player on that team, I'm like, are you kidding me? This guy's stinking and we're still rewarding him. It, it, it has not gone very well at all for the Kings and Dubois. Look, he had a really good, he had a good first game for him uh, in, in Jim Hiller's debut against Edmonton. It, it wasn't outstanding, but it was definitely better. I mean, the bar is so low for Dubois, but he, you know, even when they put Quinton Byfield on a line with, with Dubois, the line was playing well, but it was, it was the kid that was driving the line. Dubois was benefiting from what Byfield was doing. It wasn't really anything that Pierre-Luc Dubois was doing. So what's the deal here? Like, what's your theory on what's gone on with Dubois in L.A.? Well, 
he's, you know, he, uh, he, he's a guy, look, I've heard Elliot and Jeff talk about it on the podcast. You know, Elliot has, has said, you know, he is a part-time player. You get him for, you know, you get him for a game, you lose him for a game or two, you get him for a game. There's no physical engagement. This is a guy that doesn't take advantage of his size. You know, he, he was never, I mean, this is a guy that, what, his, his, his most points was 65 or something? Or maybe it was seventy. I mean, he's never he's never been, a, you know, a marquee player. But the Kings, you know, invested in him like he was going to be the replacement for Ante Kopitar, and his body of work just showed, you know, never indicated that that would be the case. So I don't think we should be surprised with what we've seen. Yes, it can take time to adjust uh, to a new city. I understand that, but man, this is one of the easiest markets to play in, guys. You know, we've got maybe. You know, I'd say a half a dozen people that cover the team on a nightly basis, and I and half of those work for the team. We're speaking to Jonathan Davis from Sirius XM uh, NHL Satellite Radio, host of the Ice Cap. We're talking a little Los Angeles Kings ahead of tonight's game, seven o'clock, Rogers Arena. It's the Kings and the Canucks. I mentioned Jim Hiller. There hasn't exactly been the new coach bump. They're six and four under Hiller. What changes, if any, have you noticed from Hiller or sorry from uh, McClellan to Hiller? Well, not a lot. I mean, you know, they 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 got Edmonton in his, in their first game, and for me, guys, like that game for me was a schedule loss for Edmonton. I was at the game the night before Edmonton played Anaheim, and they expended a tremendous amount of energy just to win that game. They came from behind three times to win. I wasn't. They looked gassed the next night. So, you know, I kind of looked at. I didn't give LA a lot of credit for that. They've had a lot of duds. I mean, what Hiller has tried to move guys around, I will give him credit. Like, he hasn't stuck firm to the line combinations like Todd McClellan did. But at the end of the day, the roster is the roster. And, you know, you guys referenced, you know, Drew Doughty calling the guys mm-hmm. out. I think that was after the San Jose game. I mean, the next night, they go into Colorado, and who gets who is abused in that game? It's Drew Doughty. You know, so nothing has changed in, in Los Angeles. It, it's... There is not a player on this team that can carry the team on its back. They don't have a Nathan McKinnon. They don't, you know, and and look, not a lot of teams do, but there's just not a guy that can step up. The only, like the one guy that's played really well, I think their best player has been Quinton Byfield, Mm -hmm. but their captain, you know, we were all excited or people, and I would say we, LA fans were all excited about the start that Anze Kopitar had. Yet he wasn't, you know, he was still like about 44th in the league in scoring. I mean, that's really where this team is at. They just don't have a superstar that can take them. And their best players, you know, Kopitar and Dowdy just aren't what they were, you know, even two or three years ago. So to expect them to, to carry, you know, to, to, to elevate this team, it's just not there. I, I don't know where L.A. goes. You know, they... they they don't really have any draft or, or trade capital, in my opinion, to move, like to get anybody significant. You know, why would you trade a first-round draft pick to get somebody right now? The only guy on your roster that you can really move is Matt Roy. Uh, you know, for, from a salary standpoint, he makes a little over $3 million. He's a UFA. Uh, but you can't afford to trade Matt Roy. So I, I, if I'm Rob Blake, I go into that locker room, and I just tell him, guys, this is the roster that we have. We may make a small change. But we're not doing – we don't have the ability to do anything significant. I made my significant moves last – you know, this past off season and the seasons prior with Fiala and, and Deno. This is it. It's time for guys to, to step up. So if this season 
kind of ends with a whimper for the LA Kings. Uh, even if they still make the playoffs, they don't win around and things just don't get better. Um, what do they do heading into next season? Well, if they don't get better, then I, I would expect there would be, you know, definitely a, a management change. Um, I, I think that that's, I think that would be very safe to, to assume. The problem that LA has in trying to change their roster, uh, you know, after this year is that Kevin Fiala, no move clause. Philippe Deneau, no move clause. Uh, Trevor Moore, modified no trade clause. Uh, Gavrikov, no move clause. Doughty, no move clause. Um, now, Drew may say, get me out of here, but at $11 million a year, that's not, you know, I don't think, you know, Drew Doughty's not what Drew Doughty was. So LA's got a big problem. Like they just don't, you know, and then they've got some contracts that they, they've got players, you know, whether, you know, in, in a buy field that's going to need a new deal. Uh, you know, Arthur Kaliev to lesser extent, because we don't know, I don't know if he'll, he'll be an LA King beyond next year. They've totally destroyed that kid. So I don't know what LA does because they've just they've got too many guys that that I don't think are very attractive to teams or or have no move clauses and so I, I you know they're they're really up against it. Uh, assuming that they're not able to pull off a move for a goalie going into March eighth, it looks like it's going to be more and more difficult. Uh, what do you expect Rob Blake to be doing heading into the trade deadline? Well, one name I threw out was Max Pacioretty. He's you know Pacioretty you know Kings tried to sign him years ago, it didn't work out. Uh, he's on a $2 million expiring contract. I, you know, they're going to need help on the wing. I think, you know, that would cost them, you know, maybe it's a third round draft pick. I don't, you know, that's not a guy to me that you're going to have to give up a first or a second for. So, you know, that's the type of player that I could see LA trying, you know, going after, but you know, uh, their options are, are just, they're very limited. And, you know, this was a group, a team that, that was so deep, in the, uh, you know, in their system on the blue line, but now it's gone. Like that depth that they had on the blue line to trade. I mean, they've given up, they've traded Sean Dersey, Sean Walker, Tobias Bjornfoot. They, they traded Brock Faber. They don't have, they don't have much. Like they don't really have anything other than Brant Clark and, uh, and Jordan Spence right now. Uh, and Jacob Mavari, uh, a kid who's now taken Clark's spot, uh, you know, on the roster right now. They don't have a lot of defensive depth to trade to try to get somebody. So, yeah, their options are, are limited. And you guys earlier were talking about, you know, who's their goalie of the future? Well, yeah, they don't have a goalie under contract after this season. And, hmm. you know, Eric Pratillo's played okay in the minors. Um, but that's why, like, for me, a guy like UC Saros would have been a really good target for them because they could have had him under contract for a couple of, you know, for at least one more year after this. And, at $5 million, it's not a bad situation, and they need a goalie. So, look, Rob Blake has backed himself into so many corners, I, I believe. And he, you know, they've tried to win now. Each year they try to win now, hmm. and it just doesn't work. We're speaking to Jonathan Davis from Sirius XM NHL Radio here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, let's stick in California here. Of the two California teams that won't be going to the playoffs, Anaheim and San Jose, which team will be a more active seller uh, going into and then at the March 8th deadline? I would say it's Anaheim. I mean, they've got the, they definitely have, you know, one of the most attractive parts in, in Adam Henrique, you know, a center, play the wing, playoff experience, expiring contract. Uh, so I think that that's, you know, he is definitely, and we, you know, we've heard that name bantied out there now that, you know, that 
you know, the two centers have already been moved. Frank Vetrano's another one. He's got one more year after this one. Uh, you know, all he does is score. And then, you know, teams are always looking for sandpaper on the back end. You know, Ilya Labushkin's a guy that's on an expiring contract. He's only making 2.75. So I think, you know, those are three guys that I could see being moved. I don't see John Gibson being moved. You know, can't stay healthy. 6.4 million. I, I think if you're a team like that's, uh, and he hasn't played a meaningful game in, in quite some time. I, I don't think that Gibson gets moved. Uh, it is the Kings. It is the Canucks seven o'clock tonight from Rogers arena. Jonathan, thank you very much for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll do this again soon. Well, we've got round two coming up next week, so yeah, right. I'll, I'll be around if you want to chat. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Jonathan. Appreciate See you, it. Jonathan. All right. Take care, boys. Have a good show. You too. Thanks. That's uh, Jonathan Davis here on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Yes, he said have a good show, and I said thanks, you too. I got to stop doing that. So uh, it sounds like the Canucks have a team in crisis coming into Rogers Arena. In the Los uh, Angeles Kings, you mean? In the, yeah, in the Los Angeles <laughs> Kings. Um, so remember earlier in the show when we were talking about Frank Saravalli's report yesterday on Elias Pettersson kind of standing out there by itself. It was like, I am a report and I am standing here by myself. A solitary uncorroborated report that's well uncorroborated by other insiders well yeah who, hopefully I, he anyone could corroborate something you need okay. real corroboration all I right just like saying corroboration all right i'm you're probably using it incorrectly. stop corroborating that's, so much over there that's fine uh yeah <laughs> rick dollywell now has an update via twitter uh and here's how it goes the noise in the market about Elias Pettersson's contract reached a fever pitch in the past week. Good book. Canucks management met with Pettersson in the last few days, and they got back to the negotiating table. Certainly not done, but they are talking contract. Now that's a corroboration. Still nothing from Frege. You want a triple corroboration. He wants better corroboration. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, yeah, so uh, thank the media yeah. for creating the noise around this Pedersen situation and bringing Elias Pedersen back that's, to That's the lesson we should all We pressured him table. into it. I have yeah. no other takeaway other than the media did a really good job with this. Yeah. 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 It's, really, it's really at the end of the day, it's about us. Yeah. The guys that sit around and talk <laughs> and make that and make that noise and, yeah. and, 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 and make the fan base make more noise. Joking, yeah. aside, joking aside, though, I was going to ask you this earlier in the yeah, first hour. Sure. Do you think the, the noise, as you would call it, not necessarily like media driven, but just in general, the noise, do you think that played any factor into PD being like, okay, look, this is getting to be ridiculous. Let's just deal with this That's now. That's what they're saying. Because it's just like, I, I, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Um, People are freaking out. It's obviously become a distraction, even though I was hoping it wouldn't be. So I get where you're going. You I, almost, I almost don't want to answer it because I feel like the answer will be twisted into, oh, my God, the Vancouver media is patting itself on the back for creating such a chaotic situation. Well, that it all, yeah, we're, we're doing it sarcastically. Yeah, right? fans but as well, though. I mean, just being in general. Here's the thing with people. They're stupid. Yeah, some yeah, of them. Not yeah. all of them. A lot of them. Yeah. More than I care to acknowledge and admit. Um, there's a lot of it, right? Sarah Valley on his podcast is apparently saying, via our friend Taj, 
I'm told Pedersen went to the Canucks early this week and said, let's end all this nonsense. Let's get a deal done. I want to stay in Vancouver. So um, that's where we're at right now with the Pedersen situation. Again, it's February 29th right now. Um, March 8th is the trade deadline, so there's still a week to go with the trade deadline. If they can hammer out something in the next few days, then the Canucks will get what they wanted. Well, a couple of things that they wanted. Number one, they wanted to keep Petey, and they made that abundantly clear. They just wanted him to come to the negotiating table and talk contract. And number two, not only will they be able to keep Pedersen, they'll get some cost certainty on what they've got going forward in one of their most important players. Next, do they go to a guy like Philip Hronik and say, okay, let's get some cost certainty here. We don't really know if there's been any contract talks with Hronik or we haven't talked about it much just because we've been so focused on Petey and there is, you know, um, there's a hierarchy. You, You take care of Petey and then you move on to the next one and then maybe some of the other pending UFAs that they've targeted, maybe a guy like Bluger, they get a deal done with him. But I think more importantly for this Canucks team, if they can hammer out a deal with Pedersen uh, in the next few days, then it opens up the options and it provides more certainty on what more they can do at the deadline. So someone texted into the Dunbar Lumber text line and said, you know, do you think the Canucks are out on Jake Gensel? Well, first of all, I don't think the Canucks are out on Jake Gensel. They're not but, out on anybody. But I think well, what this... Chris Tanev, they're out on. Yeah, they're out on. He's been traded. He could get traded again. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but what I think it brings into the fold is maybe more of an opportunity to go with a player with term. Mm-hmm. Because... And, and maybe that's a player to play with Petey. Like, maybe that's a forward to play with Petey because you've still got this problem that, you know, he's out there with Hoaglander, fine. I think those two have showed some good chemistry together, even though Hoaglander's still not quite a finished product defensively at the NHL level. But there's still this McKayev situation there where he's probably going to be on that line again. And through no fault of his own, really, he just isn't the player that he was. I saw some people referencing this on the internet, and if it's on the internet, it must be true. Um, this is true, actually, though. But uh, represented Pedersen is by the same agency that represented David Posternock in his now-completed contract negotiations with the Boston Bruins. I'll have remind you that Posternock signed... On March 2nd of last year, we're coming up on that very same date on the calendar. Technically, it's kind of March 1st today. Right. A little bit. Here's another thing. Posternock signed an eight-year contract extension with the team that currently employed him at the time, the Boston Bruins. A $90 million contract, which at the time was the sixth largest deal in NHL history. $11.25 million AAV. So he's so, like, hey, you're going to comp me with Pasternak? I'm going to sign it on the same day. Could he just get the Pasternak deal? I also want to add, just for the sake of uh, spicing things up a little bit, that same day, you know what Boston did? They went out and traded for Tyler Bertuzzi as well. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. 
Uh, Addie and Burnaby texts in, Petey heard the J.T. Miller chant and got jealous. He that's was like, true. that's it. We're going to the negotiation Miller didn't table. hear it, but Petey heard it. <laughs> Miller heard it. <laughs> Miller heard it. One of the best answers of all time was J.T. Miller being like, no, I did not hear the chants. And then quickly texting Petey. He's like, did you hear what they were t- chanting yesterday? Yeah, on the bench. Or he looked over at Petey. He's like, they're chanting my name. So I'm the first at him. J.T. Yeah. Miller. Eight million dollars, just saying. Yeah, uh, first line power, first unit power play guy, JT Miller, as he pointed to himself. <laughs> he's like, "What unit are you on again?" Hey, by the way, uh, the power play uh, at practice yesterday was still split up in that kind of odd way. Yeah, uh, it did result in a power play goal. JT Miller involved in it, passing it to Brock Besser in the middle, PD on the bench. Just watching. Experimental phase, though, right? It, it, it crosses over to special teams as well. Yeah, there. One group was wearing all berets out there. All of them. They're giving all it a whirl, them. seeing what happens. <laughs> uh, Thomas Drance is going to join us next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.